This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, I want us to look at tonight Isaiah chapter 58, and you can also mark your Bible in Acts chapter 9. I have shared with you already in this wonderful journey of fasting. And we, we called an eight-hour fast intentionally because I, I, I realized that uh, it would not be, in many cases, sustainable, attainable, to call for a 24, 48, 72-hour fast. If you've never done this before, let me, if this was your very first fast, let me tell you something. If you weren't preoccupied, along about 2, 33 o'clock, you're getting fidgety. And when you get fidgety and you get agitated and your nerves are thin and you start lashing out the people and you, you just short about everything, well, you, it's all over. You lose the blessing. You lose what it's all about. And you and I, because we can't see the end of the story, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a few moments, the Bible says the just shall live by faith, and we have to trust him. He already knows what he's going to do. He's got it all worked out. But you and I don't, and that's why we need to trust him. And so leading up to this particular fast, I've already shared with you two particular types of fast in the Scripture. The first one we talked about was the Daniel fast. And the Daniel fast is pretty much about physical healing, uh, dealing with the digestive system and so forth. And then we talked about the Ezra fast, and that's where Ezra brought the people together to fast collectively because of a problem that they were facing as a group. Tonight, I want to share with you what is called in the scripture, I believe, to be the St. Paul or the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul fast. And I don't know how far I'm going to get in this tonight, and I don't know how many more. There's, there's so many different types of fast in the scripture, uh, but it was and is a purpose and goal of mine to at least go over three or four of them with you. And so we'll see what the Lord would have us to do. But tonight we're going to be talking about the St. Paul fast. And again, we're using in Isaiah chapter 58, uh, this passage of scripture for the cornerstone in our teaching on fasting. We get all of what we're talking about out of one verse in the book of James chapter 4, verse number 15. And that's dealing with the premise of Whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, seeking his will, if the Lord wills. That's what this is all about. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, I want to call your attention uh, to verse number 8. And I want you to notice the first word, underline it, and then I'll read the verse and we'll come back to it. The Bible says this, Isaiah 58 Verse 8, then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health spring forth speedily, 
and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy reward. Look at this. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Do you remember this past Sunday morning I talked about how God dwells in the thickness of darkness? Do you remember that? Solomon talked about that as well. This particular passage of Scripture talks about the light breaking forth, coming through from darkness, obviously. Then, this is an important word, and you take verse 7 and 6 into consideration when you connect it with verse number 8. After those two verses, then shall thy light break forth as a morning. The St. Paul fast deals with the necessity to make important decisions. It deals with pursuing wisdom and making important, critical decisions. So as the Daniel fast dealt with healing, the Ezra fast dealt with the people coming together as a group with overwhelming odds against them and problems to solve as a people. This particular fast is designated towards making critical and wise decisions. I think everybody here tonight and certainly everybody watching understands the magnitude that there are many times in our life that we struggle to know what to do. For me especially, we struggle to know what path to take in our life. We're all faced with making decisions, but sometimes we're forced or pushed into a predicament where we have to make critical decisions and we really don't know what to do. In my day, when I first awaken in the morning and I have my praise time, and as I shared with you a few Wednesday nights ago, there's a big difference in my opinion in praise and prayer. And I have a praise time before my feet hit the floor. And then I have a prayer time. You say, well, what's the difference? I, I go through praising God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I start out by praising God because he's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the great I am. And I, there, there, there are certain things that I, I pray and praise every morning. And I have my, my prayer time. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for our ministry, our church. I pray for these people. I, so many things that I pray for. But then, usually before I get to the place where I'm going to have breakfast before I head to the office, I've already made two or three critical decisions. And typically, that's the way that it goes. Every day I'm faced with some type of decision that ultimately affects all of us. And so the decisions that I make is not when I'm going to wear that day or should I wear these shoes or that? You know, we all have to make those kind of decisions every day, but usually, typically, every week, I'm faced 
and sometimes feel forced to make critical strategic decisions that ultimately affects every one of us. And typically, I will do that on a regular basis. Sometimes when I'm confronted with those kinds of situations, from a face value perspective, I honestly don't know what to do. And I can remember years and years and years and years and many years ago when I was just a young kid in the ministry and I was an associate pastor here and even working in the uh, other church. I can remember feeling confident and comfortable by thinking that I could remain a second man, an associate, an assistant, all of my life. I can remember looking back on those days, and in those particular years of my life, when I was just trying to learn about, I, I mean, trying to put together a sermon. A Sunday school, I think I told you the story about my very first sermon I ever preached in my life when the preacher, the pastor, was out with a back surgery, cold winter time, and I, my very first, first sermon on Sunday morning before a group of people, a lady right down here on the front row lit a cigarette right in the middle of my message. I was forced to make a decision, a critical decision, whether I was going to continue on, throw her out. I, but I look back on those early, early days of my ministry, and I would have been, at that particular time in my life, I would have been content with being the second man. And I'll tell you why. Second men don't have to think. Second men just do. Those, those years taught me some valuable lessons of ministry because I recognized that there could only be one pastor, God's appointed man, and it was my job to help him do the work that God had called him to do. And so... I did not have to strategically make decisions for the ministry. I'm talking about, we're talking about a lot of people. The school, the church, the programs we have, all, all kinds of things. And I didn't have to make those kind of decisions. I just came in every morning ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Whatever they said I was going to do and do to the best of my ability. And there was a time in my life I thought that's what God wanted me to do for the rest of my life. There's no doubt that that's what God wanted me to do for that particular season in my life. But when God rearranged the structure and moved me in into the senior pastorate, almost overnight, I recognized that this is not something that Anybody with a grain of sense ought to seek unless God called them to do it. 
when my son, Brian, my preacher's son in Raleigh, announced to me and Gail that God had called him to preach and God was opening a door for him to go into the ministry, I did everything I possibly could do to try to talk him out of it. You might say, well, why, why would you want to do that? Well, here's the thing. If I could talk him out of that, he wasn't worth the next morning sunshine because there would be so many catastrophic things that would happen. It would just take a feather. If, that, if I could talk him out of it on the phone or in my home, he would say, yeah, you're right, and move on to something else. God wasn't in that. God could not have been in that. And so I told him this. I said, Brian, I said, if God's calling you to pastor a church, you, you better be sure that you have stood before the burning bush of God and you have heard his voice speak to your heart and that you know with every breath you take that God is calling you to do it. Unless you can stand and testify to that, Brian, don't do it. Because I knew, and I know, what all of that consists of. The responsibility is unbelievable. And I can remember in the early days, man, I thought this, I, you know what, when I, when I left my secular job and I hit the time clock for the last time, this, I really thought, and this lets you know how much I knew. I really thought this thing about serving God was full-time, was about preaching, praying, singing, and going home. And wouldn't, wouldn't that be heaven if that's all that there was? Preaching, praying, singing. Man, that sounds like a nonstop spirit of revival. But I, I was on a head-on collision course with reality. And it was just a matter of time before I realized exactly what I was dealing with. And that is this. People, problems, the devil, demons, anything that could come against the work of God. Just as a young preacher, I began to run into those things systematically. And so from my perspective and then your perspective, what you do in your life, you, you know that you have stood in the valley of decision countless times and you have been forced to make critical decisions where you wish maybe, like I did early in my ministry, that I had somebody else making these decisions for me where I could just get on the bus and I could just sit down and I could just ride and just give this to somebody else. You've been in those situations where you have ha you didn't have anybody else to pass this on to. I know we all have God, and he's there all the time. But there have been times in my life where I really wish I could just give this to somebody else. And so we've all had to make decisions where we have really not known what to do in our life. In fact, 
if we knew the future, if we could predict the future, I think we would all be on the gravy train. You think about how easy it would be to make decisions if we knew the future. But there's a verse of scripture that comes into play here out of Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number one. I don't know if you're taking notes along the way, but this is probably one of the most familiar scriptures out of the book of Proverbs. And it says this, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Sure, it would be easy if we knew what was going to happen tomorrow in our decision-making for today. Many times in our life, we need exactly what verse number 8 in Isaiah 58 is talking about, and that is for the light of the morning to break forth, where there would just be absolute clarity. But there are many times when that doesn't come. I really believe that if we focus on God's will instead of our own, and many times when we are standing in the valley where we're forced to make major decisions, here's the thing. God is going to provide for us a clear perspective. He is going to give us clear insight and discernment. Now, let me read a couple of passages of Scripture for you. Let's turn to the New Testament for a moment. I want you to go to the book of Acts. And I want to read for you a story that you're probably well familiar with in Acts chapter 9. And I want to show you a story in a situation where Saul of Tarsus, who would moments from this experience become the Apostle Paul. I want you to see the episode in his life that brought him to the place where he had to make life changing, critical decisions that would alter and affect his life to where he would never, ever be the same. And so we begin reading in Acts chapter 9, verse number 1. And Saul, obviously, you know, and it's almost, and I don't want it to sound too elementary, but not everybody in the Bible who has the name Saul was Israel's first king. This is not Israel's first king. You find that in the Old Testament. Here, this man Saul was yet to become the great apostle Paul. But Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, that's talking about the Jesus way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. 
And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Can you imagine that? They're, they're hearing all of this, but they're seeing no one. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now, the light that he saw was so bright that it literally blinded him. Now, there's much discussion and much opinion about the thorn in the flesh that Paul had. You know when he said, and I besought the Lord thrice that he may take this thorn from me. God said on three different occasions, I'm not going to take the thorn from you, but my grace is sufficient for you. You remember that? Though much debate and heavily opinionated, my personal belief and conviction is this, that one of the thorns that Paul had, and which I believe he was in direct reference to, is the fact that he was going blind in the prime of his ministry. Because there are certain occasions when he writes like this. He said, you see how large of a letter or letters I write unto you. And it wasn't the fact that it was long in length. But I believe that when Paul wrote these scriptures, and in many cases he dictated them. But when he wrote them, he he wrote them in large letters, I believe. He was having a hard time seeing. Some of you may have a hard time seeing even now. I know Gail does. She can't read anything without her glasses. She's getting these injections in her eyes. And wow, that's a, that's a, I can't even picture that. I'm getting injections in my back right now. Started uh, on Tuesday. I have two more to go. Hopefully that will turn a corner for me. But getting one in your eye, man, she's, she's a whole lot braver than I am, I'll tell you right now. They'd have to knock me out, put carbon monoxide. I'd have, they'd have to just knock me backwards. Medical marijuana, I don't know what they would do. But I could not take that. I'm, I just couldn't do it. So, Paul, I, I believe that his, when he saw this bright light and it blinded, literally blinded him, I believe that he, to some degree, he was walking with a hobble or a limp from this situation as a result of what he was doing in his encounter with the Lord and Lord... And the Lord used this to keep him humble. It's debated and opinionated, and I realize that. So look at this in verse 9. And he was three days without sight. And then here's where the fast comes in. And neither did eat nor drink 72 hours without nourishment. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For 
Behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. In other words, the Lord was saying to him, Listen, do what I'm telling you. I will protect you. Notice this. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus. Now, here's where Paul had his conversion on the Damascus road when he was knocked down by the light. And he began to communicate with the Lord Jesus. Lord, he, he confessed Jesus to be Lord. This was where the conversion took place. And now Ananias is calling him brother Saul. You know, we don't refer to people of the world as brother or sister. They don't know the Lord. But those of us who have been redeemed were part of the family of God, and that's why we say brother and sister. But here Ananias said brother Saul. He has embraced him into the brotherhood and the fellowship of the Lord Jesus. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now, the point is this, that Paul's decision to fast, he knew what a fast was. He, was, he studied at the feet of Gamal. He was a very religious and well well orchestrated and studied in the law. He knew this very well. He knew what fasting was about. Here he chose a fast where he was not going to take any nourishment. And it was only when he went without food and water in this fast that he saw the light. God sent this man Ananias to the house where Paul was staying. Ananias placed his hands upon him. Saul, who was a former persecutor of the church, and according to the word of God, he not only received his vision, his physical eyesight, but he received the vision to become an apostle. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.